On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I do a lot of college basketball talk. We have the godfather of college basketball analytics, Ken Palm, on, and we do a little tidbit from our Calcutta, which will hopefully help you fill out your brackets and bet. Rufus actually gives you some college football, uh, college basketball bets, and I talk a little bit about my time that's going to be in Vegas coming up in the next day with Dave Chang and his crew, which is exciting. Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Superfan Games, which is running some really cool March Madness games. So go to superfan.games. And with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a out with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage. Welcome to a very, very special episode of the Bet the Process podcast. It's our NCAA um, podcast, Rufus, where you actually know something about college basketball. It was weird with you on the Calcutta last night because you actually had an opinion on things, although I think you might have been a little inebriated because you were actually giving away a lot of your your teams. So, you know, what's interesting, though, Jeff, is there was a little bit of um, deception there, too. There was a little bit of gamesmanship. Yeah, because you're Uh, so sly and savvy. (laughs) I had to give you the win on the VCU thing, um, even though I had no desire to get VCU, but just so you think you were right. Oh, interesting. Cause that so, was, so at that, the, my team... that was at the, that was at the end of the podcast at the end of the Calcutta. So really you, that, that really laid the groundwork well for deception later on, I suppose. For taking Gonzaga. Gonzaga, you ended up paying really like, I know we you... played, we paid, we paid over. Well, we didn't pay over our, we paid over the, our number like regressed to the market essentially, but we didn't pay over the number that our Sims have. Got it. The number our Sims have, like we have Gonzaga worth like the second most of any team. Have you guys, have you done a bracket yourself? Have I filled out a bracket? Yeah. I haven't filled out a bracket yet. No. Are you going to? Yeah, I'm sure I will. There's a few contests. Curious to see who your final four. Yeah. Well, we should actually mention that because the Bet the Process podcast, March Madness, which we're probably not really technically allowed to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. Podcast is brought to you by Superfan Games. We're doing a free bracket contest to win jerseys signed by Chris Weber, Dwayne Wade, and Alan Iverson. All the jerseys are from their colleges, their respective colleges, which we determined last night that Rufus did actually know. And you can find a link to enter the contest at superfan.games. And so everyone's always looking for more ways to get March Madness sweats. Um, do you have, is there any pool, pool that you're in every, besides the Calcutta, is there any pool that you're in that you like any, any, you know, sort of structure that's interesting to you? I mean, I'm in March Madness pools every year and I have been since high school. I used to run them. I used to grade brackets in the back of, um, of my calculus class junior year. And, it's and interesting it was funny, Jeff, is when I asked, I asked my, um, I almost called him a professor, my calc teacher for, um, who's also the soccer coach there, um, for a, a college recommendation. And he said, do you want me to talk about, do you want me to talk about how you were grading the brackets in the back of the class or not? And I was like, I mean, I laughed, but clearly he didn't, he, but he was a teacher that got me. 
so did you um do you do you think about the concept of bracket challenges and i know that you know there's there's a lot of talk about it our our friend our friend um ed fang at the the power rank probably has some of the best strategy work on the bracket stuff um you know just kind of like it's very obvious stuff but like if you're in a bigger pool versus a smaller pool what should you do bigger pools you probably want to pick uh teams that aren't like the odds on favorites like in alabama or houston you might want to take you know like a gonzaga might be a good one for a bigger pool to win it all because fewer people will probably have them than than you know they're probably for the average person the ninth or 10th favorite, I, I would say like, there's probably like you would name teams like, you know, Houston, Gonzaga, Kansas, uh, sorry, Houston, uh, Alabama, Kansas, even UCLA, Purdue, in front of them, I don't know, maybe Arizona in front of them potentially. Um, but you guys obviously like them a lot, which was obvious from your bidding last night in in the Calcutta, um, what do you do you what do you attribute how much you guys like Gonzaga to? You know, I, I don't know exactly. I do think that maybe we're not putting enough of an emphasis on defense. And maybe Ken Palm can tell us if we're wrong to to do that. But I, I do wonder how the NCAA this, tournament is different. Well, it's interesting because this kind of goes back to this idea of offense and being much more predictive than defense. Like in football, we talk about that a lot. Um, that you know, like the teams that are really good offensively show up better in a lot of analytical systems. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very true in, in football. I'm actually, I don't, I think it's probably true to some extent in basketball too, but, but I'm not, I don't think it's to the same extent necessarily. We also like Virginia. We took Virginia. We don't like them in futures or anything like that, but we took them in the Calcutta and they are not known for their offensive prowess, but their offense typically has ha- has been efficient in the past right i'm i'm not talking necessarily this year but in the their past pace it's been is just slow. their pace is just slow right and that's that's yeah. why um their offense always looks so bad but i think in the days of their national championship teams their offenses were really efficient um if i remember correctly they were they didn't have the ability to create that much themselves it was definitely predicated on a team concept yeah but it's i mean they they have that team that won the national championship and also the team that got not out the, the national round. championship <laughs> had NBA talent, right? It had Ty Jerome, who's in the NBA right now. It had DeAndre Hunter, who's in the NBA right now. Um, I'm, I may be missing some people. I don't think Kyle Kyle Guy got a cup of coffee. Um, but um, anyways, uh, so back to this concept of pools. And so if we go back to it, the idea is in a bracket pool with a big you know, you and the 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 thing that I think is interesting about pools is from a game construct, they're not that fun because you can be out of it so quickly, right? And we all do them. We all do bracket pools. Um, but like what are the I mean, is the Calcutta the best format? Yeah. I mean, if you can you think so? I think so. And having think a few teams Calcutta, to root for. Yeah. And our Calcutta is good because it's not too top heavy either. Right um, to my detriment, since the the NCAA Calcutta is the one I've probably done the best in of our Calcuttas over the years. I mean, that's a very, 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 very small, sample, very small sample size. What did you think? And we we can talk to Ken Palm about this, but he so, sent a tweet out about priors and um, essentially like teams that weren't in the top twenty five that were first one or two seed and how they've done in the and and there's two they underperformed. Year. 
Oh, totally underperformed. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's and look, and, and you, uh, I actually was going to say me, this let me, about let the me Gonzaga first, thing. Yeah. Let me finish for one second. And so the, the issue, though, is that the actual sample size that you use to judge this is pretty small also. It's like only 30 some over the last whatever years that he was using to make this judgment. Right. Yes. And he's also saying like they, you know, they're also, he's also judging them over the course of six games where the rubric is finishing in the top five in the top four. Right. So it's like, it isn't that also like a sample size argument. Yes. But I will say that my prior on the effect of priors in the postseason is actually pretty strong based on what we know about college football. We know that that team talent matters a lot still in bowl games, that we can't just judge a team based on what happened on the field. What we thought about them going into the season still matters in bowl games. And so I would expect the same thing to be true for college basketball. We do have a larger sample size of, of games. Teams play, what, 33, 34 games um, if they play in their conference tournaments. Whereas in college football, it's 12 games. Um, so, but I, I still do, to, to me, the fact that we see that in the NCAA tournament kind of backs up what I would expect already. Yeah. It, it is interesting though, because I remember feeling, you know, like the Virginia 16 versus a one is leaves a very indelible mark to me because I was in two Calcuttas that year and owned Virginia in both of them. And Virginia was a surprise number one, right? I mean, they, they weren't supposed to be that good going into the season, if I remember correctly. Yes, but they were highly dominant number one, right? And that's, well, that's the whole, isn't that's the whole point of this conversation, Rufus. Remember, they weren't in the top 25. That's why we right, started exactly. this conversation. Yeah, exactly. So they were, they were the classic cool. example of a prior. They were a team so this that year, overperformed the, their talent, probably. Yeah, this so, year, the two teams that fit into this are Purdue and Creighton. Uh-oh. So, to see what happens. Well, you have Purdue and I have Creighton. Yeah, but so I, I have Gonzaga also, which I think Gonzaga is a team that we that we had higher expectations yeah, for. Yeah, they were top five. I, I So I did something last night that um, I think was interesting, and it was kind of like one of those uh, confirmation bias moments where I went back to look at um, sort of a, a mock drafts of the 2023 draft to see like which players have which teams have elite nba talent that is actually going to get drafted because i do think that's you know that the the first two picks in the nba draft i'm, I'm sure you, you don't know who they are but neither of them are in college right now um victor victor wambayana and scoot henderson and then the number three is brandon miller from alabama um ucla actually still has a lot of nba talent they have um the big guy the guy That's, that like is he the guy that loves shooting mid-range jumpers? Who's that? I don't know. I just watched if maybe watched Tiger Campbell. I mean, Tiger Campbell shoots they shoot some mid-range jumpers. They make they them. have basically three players still that in a mock draft would get drafted in the top in the first two rounds, in the, the only two rounds in college and in, in NBA. Um, and the guy that they have uh, that's out, which is interesting and, and out for the season, likely Jalen Clark is is only a, a, you know, marginal NBA uh, prospect. So I, I'm curious about why people think this is, I know he has like a really big, the narrative is he has a really big impact on their defense. And then also the confirmation bias. And, and we're probably talking about UCLA more than we need to, because I have UCLA futures and I'm trying to justify in my mind that they still have a chance. Um, but the idea that um, they played looks so shorthanded against Arizona they're going to get the big guy back Bona and and so theoretically as long as he's healthy 
I think that's going to be a huge difference. He's he's by far their their biggest pro prospect. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But I, I I did a bracket last night for for the Kornheiser show, and when I did it first, it was fresh off the Calcutta, so I kind of was like excited about Gonzaga and putting Gonzaga through. But then I said screw it and I put um, UCLA through because it'd be more fun to root for them. But yeah. um, I mean, the NCAA I, tournament is about having fun rooting for things. For sure, for sure. That's, and that's why I like, used to, I always I used get, to like, love it. It used to be my favorite sporting event as a kid before I knew about gambling because it was gambling without gambling. That's, I always get a very like upset, excited during the, uh, like I like always like when I fill this out and then and then you end up with this bracket that just looks like there's like zero chance that it would happen. So um, yeah. I always just love, I love rooting for the upsets. So I kind of get more joy out of having a bracket with more upsets. Did you have a tilted moment? I, I everyone's probably dying to hear my tilted moment because of my commentary about the airline system that is American Airlines. Let's go. Let's Did you see, see any of this? No. It was. I just I just got out of Dallas. Um, I'd been on the road for about eight days, so I was really excited to get home. Originally, I thought I was going to be um, golfing in Dallas and taking a late flight home, but the weather in Dallas was bad, and so it looked like I was going to be able to take an earlier flight out. So I moved from my United flight, which was at seven thirty, to an American flight that was at two. 45 and um around 11 a.m got a note that my 245 flight was now delayed till um 4 30 and all of this was predicated on me being able to get home in time to see my kids which is like really all i cared about at that moment and so when i got to the airport and i said oh, okay 4 32 hours no big deal i'll still get home by six i'll still be home in terms for term for bedtime and i'll also get to watch some college basketball because all the conference tournaments were going on so i sat at the bar and watched and then my 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 flight kept getting pushed back and also they kept moving the gate to different terminals. So I basically went on the scavenger hunt of DFW, finally get on the plane at around six, um, six 30 or so. And I'm like, well, I'll still get home. Maybe I'll be able to see the kids. It's not looking likely now. And I'm like a little bit tilted now. And so I'm just like, but I'm like, okay, like who cares? I'm just going to get home. Don't be like, just deal with the flights. And, and so we're on the plane for a while. We're on the plane. We push away from the gate which at that point I decided to cancel my United flight. So I wouldn't cancel. So I wouldn't forget to do it as we sit on the tarmac and no, don't move. I start to realize that canceling this United flight was a really bad idea. So I go back online and try to rebuy it. So I go and I rebuy it. We go back to the gate. They tell us we're getting off the, the flight because the flight attendants now that we're supposed to be on this flight are, are at their window in terms of time and they can't, and they can't, uh, they need to find another crew. So again, I see getting the updates and now like this dynamic of getting updates on your phone before the actual, like people at American have any idea what's going on. It pushes it back half an hour, another half an hour. And all of a sudden it just says it's canceled. And so at that point, I got to book it over to my United flight. I get over there and similarly, my flight starts getting delayed, delayed, delayed. And um, finally at around 10 or 30, we get onto the plane. And so I'm like, okay, remember the, like my original flight was at two 45. We get onto the plane. Actually, it's probably about nine 30. We get on the plane. I'm, there's no chance I'm going to see my kids now at this point. So I'm, I'm pretty, you just upset. want to make it home for the night. Now I just want to make it home and see them in the morning. Right. You've been in the airport so for eight I, hours. Yeah. So Let, I get on this flight. Don't, 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 I'm not done yet. I get on this flight 
they don't ever shut the door and maintenance people keep coming on the plane and they don't say a word. And I'm like, what is going on? And finally, like the uh, notification says that they're having technical difficulties. The guy comes up, the pilot comes on and says that there's a test they need to run. And if that, it'll take 10 minutes. If that works, we're good. If not, they're going to have to run a longer test. They're also going to have to call their central maintenance in Chicago to ask them what to do. So at that point, like that inspires confidence, mechanical failure. So maybe about half an hour, they get us off the flight and say, we're going to get you guys a new plane. So we get off the flight and then finally at 1am, we board a new plane. So I've been deplaned from two planes. We board a new plane. We get home. I get home to my house at about 4am, walk into my room. And just for the sweet part of the story, uh, get in a bed with my son, James, give him a kiss. He wakes up immediately and says, daddy. And he gives me a big hug. And then he comes kind of lies next to me in bed. And he says, daddy, would it be funny if I just kept kissing you, even though I was asleep. And so it's like very sweet moment for me. So it made it all worth it. Anyways, that was my tilted moment that turned into a sweet moment. How about you? That was a lot of, that's a lot of time at the airport. Did you at least like have a lap? Were you at least in a Yeah, I was fine. Like I was like sweating games and I was like, okay. I was, you know, it was, it was fine. And I was like doing some work and it, I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, I was relatively calm. I was just so frustrated because I just wanted to see my kids. Yeah. My, I don't know if, I mean, my tiltiest moment, I guess, was more just self-inflicted, but I think it was like Thursday. I just had this day where I didn't get anything done that I wanted to get done. And I had, uh, and I kind of, it kind of was a microcosm of my week up to that point. I just felt like I wasn't being as productive. And I just had all this, like all this administrative shit I needed to deal with that I hadn't dealt with and just life stuff. And so I just decided, so I I guess Thursday evening, I was just kind of tilted at myself as a result of that. And so I just said, fuck it. Friday, I I decided I was just going to spend the entire day and just get absolutely everything knocked out that I needed to. And so so that was the redemption story. So I did. I spent all day Friday doing like essentially chores and going through emails and running errands, but I felt good about myself after that. Cool story, bro. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to welcome in Ken Palm now, and then we're also going to do a clip from uh, the Calcutta that will run one after another. Um, the clip from the Calcutta is some of the we sharpest minds we believe in college basketball discussing um the calcutta with some tidbits of things you can use in your bracket and then we'll talk to you guys all on the other side we now welcome in the godfather of college basketball analytics the guy that got this all started who was doing this when people didn't even really know what analytics was ken pomeroy ken very exciting to have you here Um, yeah thanks for having me on for those of uh, people out there who've been sleeping under a rock for the last uh, you know, 15 years or so, can you just give a quick intro into who you are, what you do, and how you got into this? I think your origin story is interesting. And, and um, obviously, uh, you know, we have seven listeners. There's a rumor that we have an eighth. So for that eighth that hasn't heard you before, we want to make sure they know a little bit about you. Right. Uh, well, it's yeah, it's going on 20 years now, um, you know, probably 20 years ago. Uh, dove into the world of, of college basketball analytics and uh, started a website called KenPom.com, which uh, basically rates all of the uh, division one college basketball teams on the men's side and uh, tracks their offensive and defensive efficiency and, and adjusts it for 
uh, schedule strength and when the games were played and a few other minor factors and, uh, and creates a power rating from that. And um, so over time that went from having seven or eight followers to, uh, you know, being at least uh, somewhat used by the NCAA selection committee to, to help them with their, uh, their selections for the tournament. Um, and it's more than just, you know, team ratings on the side, it's player ratings and other novelty stats as well. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's the uh, elevator type summary. Cool. So it's interesting, you know, you, you made the point of how like relevant your ratings have become. And I think you're underplaying that because I think they, they have become incredibly relevant, both in the, you know, real basketball world and in the sports betting world, um, you know, it went from like sort of this cottage thing to all of a sudden now being very, very mainstream. So as we think a little bit about that and you have so much influence, I'm curious about where you think their weaknesses in the system are from a predictive value, because, right, it wasn't always necessarily designed for that from that standpoint. And I'll give you a couple of examples and we can talk a little bit about like where we think, you know, like a, uh, a team like Duke, right, who is kind of like coming on in their recent form. Is that real? Is that signal? Is that noise? How do you think about like a team like that and how they play out in Ken Palm? Do you feel like they are um, correctly rated or do you feel like that's something that you wish or you if, if you were evaluating that as a better, you might try to tweak? Yeah, uh, those are good questions. I mean, obviously, when I started, uh, there's a very low bar for for getting into the, the field and uh, in terms of like making predictions. I mean, my system is designed to make predictions. Um, so when I'm evaluating it or making changes to it, you know, I'm always kind of back testing it and seeing how well it predicts. Um, so yeah, when it comes to Duke, I mean, they're a great case where um, they are, you know, quote unquote hot or whatever. They played really well down the stretch. They won nine in a row. I mean, my system does give more weight to more recent games in a way that makes sense for most teams. Um, maybe not <clears throat> as much for Duke. Maybe that, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, their, uh, their recent trends are uh, um, more reflective than most teams. But like in most cases, I think it is a mistake to put, you know, like too much weight on the last six or nine games or something like that. I mean, that's kind of how we got into the situation where North Carolina was, you know, ranked preseason number one this year. Um, their last, you know, six or nine games last year were really, really good. And they were playing like a top five team, but you can't ignore that previous data. The previous data before that has some meaning, even if they suddenly somehow truly got better. Um, so that's a challenge. I think one of the issues for Duke too, like I don't, I don't do anything special to predict for the NCAA tournament. Like the system just treat, treats the NCAA tournament like they're, you know, regular season games. And one thing that's different in the tournament is that, you know, benches get shorter. And I think you could probably improve the system by assuming that. And Duke in particular, you know, they're going to run probably – you know, pretty close to a six-man rotation in the tournament. They're going to get rid of Jacob Grandison and and Ryan Young probably in their rotation or play them fewer minutes. And the top of Duke's rotation has been, in particular, like really improving down the stretch. So I think that's uh, another reason why my system hasn't quite caught up to the market. When you um, think about – so that's, you know, recent form is one issue. Another another thing that we're seeing this year is, is injuries, right? And you have teams like Tennessee and UCLA – um, that are showing up very probably out for the rest of the year or that Tennessee's, I forget his, I can't say his name, but he, that he's out for, you know, for the rest of the year or whatnot. Um, how do you, how do you think about adjusting for that? Or what advice would you give people for that? I guess. 
yeah, Zakai Ziegler is the, uh, the point guard for Tennessee who uh, who was out for the year. And uh, yeah, I think that is uh, a little more tricky um, and challenging. You know, it depends on on the situation. I I think in general, people tend to um, overreact to injuries. Um, you know, UCLA actually played pretty well in the Pac-12 tournament without Jalen Clark. Um, they lost to Arizona in the final, but Arizona's a really good team. And that game, you know, came down to the very last shot. UCLA had a shot to win it at the buzzer. So is UCLA weaker? Sure, yeah, they're, they're weaker, but uh, slightly weaker. Um, they're still, you know, I have them as of this morning, third in my system. I mean, maybe they're like, you know, seventh in reality. It's just, it's just rare for like a player, I would say to be worth more than like three points. Um, you know, you're, you're talking when you get to, we're talking, if you're talking to players worth like four or five points to his team, like that's like a superstar on a team that doesn't have any depth. So I think that's kind of like a ballpark figure on how to, how to think about injuries, you know. Really, really good player, three points. I don't know where Jalen Clark falls into that, two or three points. You know, Zakai Ziegler at Tennessee, they don't really have a true backup point guard. So that is a kind of a problem offensively. Um, so, you know, maybe he's worth a couple of points. I think the issue with Tennessee is probably the scarier issue with Tennessee, even if they had Ziegler, is that, you know, they're coached by Rick Barnes and his tournament history is, is lengthy and incredibly poor. <laughs> so, so even if they had Ziegler, you know, I think I would be, be a little reluctant to uh, have a whole lot of confidence in them. And then my final question from sort of a macro level, and then Rufus has some questions, I think, around specifics on adjustments to the tournament and things like that. Um, it really comes down to some, like, I don't want to say bias, but like one of the things I've noticed, and and I'm a huge fan, like I, I will follow what you say. And I'll, so just take all of this uh, criticalness more as just trying to understand the system, right? But a team like St. Mary's is a team that always seems to show up pretty high versus the market in your system. Um, Utah State is another example, right? Are those teams, is, there, is that something that you look at and say, huh, why am I so off the market and am I right? Or do you think like, or is that just like small sample size that I'm noticing anecdotally? Absolutely. I constantly am looking at that. I mean, when people criticize my system, I mean, that's usually like if I, most of the time, I, most of the time I don't respond to the randoms, but, uh, but if you want to evaluate my system and you think it's off on something, then yeah, definitely like look at the market. And if it's consistent with the market, then you should be making some money off of this supposed weakness, right? Like if, if it's consistent with the market, I'm usually not too concerned, but if it's off, uh, I am. And that, yeah, that's clearly the case of St. Mary's. I mean, pretty much all year, um, they've been overrated and they have, you're, you're right. There's, there have been seasons in the past where they've been overrated. Um, and the mountain West in general, like last year, the mountain West was ranked pretty well in my system and they, you know, were not good in the tournament. I mean, they, they lost all four of their games. So, um, the question is why that is. And it's a good question. I feel like the issue with St. Mary's is more they're They're just really, they're not very athletic but they are very skilled and in their league they don't have to face other really athletic teams so they just have a large advantage in skill and they can destroy teams in the you know 100 to 200 range because of their skill but that ability does not translate well to like elite teams in the NCAA tournament who are more athletic than them and by the time we get to the tournament the, the gap in skill might not be even that big like St. Mary's might be more skilled than those teams but it's close enough that um, when they face these really athletic teams, um, 
a lot of their you know advantage and skill gets neutralized so that's the theory i don't have like a numerical theory because usually you know usually the system does pretty well i think handling scoring margin even blowouts against weaker teams i think it does a pretty good job with that but yeah certainly for same areas and even you can say with gonzaga in past years like gonzaga was really good the past few years but my system probably overrated them by a couple of points in a lot of cases for for similar reasons that uh, i just mentioned that's really interesting. Um, what you said about St. Mary's and the skill versus athleticism. And I wonder if you could look and sort of see, I mean, basically how similar they are to, or I guess how similar um, their opponents in the NCAA tournament are going to be to, you know, maybe teams they faced out of conference and that kind of thing. And, and if there's more predictive value in some of those earlier games for that reason. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a frustrating part of college basketball. Obviously it's a challenge when you're rating teams is that there just aren't non-conference games after January 1st, sometimes earlier now because conference schedules are expanding. I mean, the one thing about St. Mary's is that they did give Houston a really good game earlier in the year. They lost by, by five in a, in a very low scoring game. Um, so it's not like um, their, their non-conference performance is totally suggestive of a team. That's not, you know, not very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, these, these are, these are all issues I think about for sure. I so, own St. Mary's and our Calcutta. So I'm, I'm a Ken Palm believer. I will always ride or die with your ratings, even when they're off the market. So, and I own Gonzaga. Which, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Which Gonzaga is a very interesting team, actually. I think, uh, so um, we're much higher on them than you this year and then the market. And it seems like they have a pretty average defense and played in a conference that doesn't you know seem to garner that much respect, but um do you have you found that there's anything? And I know you said you treat NCAA games just like regular season games, but are there some elements like having um, a stronger defense and maybe more rim protectors? Where Gonzaga, that's what they're clearly weak in. Um, are those things more valuable at all come the NCAA tournament? Because you hear all these narratives, and it's it's hard to know what's real and what isn't. Right. Yeah. I- I think the simplest thing is that like the track record of teams that are as imbalanced as Gonzaga, like their offense is clearly like one of the best in the country, if not the best. Um, And their defense is, as you mentioned, kind of mediocre by, you know, tournament contender standards. Um, Those, those types of teams generally don't fare well. They generally don't overachieve. There are exceptions. There are teams that have gone far, but for the most part, you do need a little bit of balance or if you, if you haven't had that balance in the regular season, you need to have it in the tournament. I mean, that's the, you know, the whole, the whole mystery of the tournament is like who is going to overachieve for the next three weeks. Cause almost everybody, almost every team that has won at all has played better in the tournament than they have in the regular season. And, you know, when you're looking at my ratings and, you know, you see Gonzaga as a, you know, as a 76 best defense, like they, they can't have the 76 best defense in the tournament. Now, is there a reason you think they can play like the 30th best defense? If so, then, you know, pull the trigger on them. Um, well, if we believe like defense is like primarily effort, right? Like then, you know, like theoretically, like, you know, you always, you always like laugh at people when they're like, Oh, they're going to try harder, but like, maybe they're going to try harder. (laughs) Like maybe that will help their defense. I mean, you can't teach somebody to be long, but that's not just like defense is a lot of it is effort, right? If you talk to like anyone that actually like coaches or plays basketball, there is a lot of, there's a lot of effort involved. And these guys are elite. They're, they're elite talents, right? They're not like inherent, like maybe drew Timmy is like a challenge defensively given how good he is offensively or whatever, but like Gonzaga gets 
top recruits, right. That probably know how to play defense. They just haven't played because they're playing against WCC teams that they like largely don't care about. Right. So, right. I, I would say, yeah. So like to get back to the effort thing, like is, is effort important in defense? Yes. Um, it, but you know, Drew Timmy can probably put in all the effort he wants and, you know, he's not going to be even an average defender. Um, and furthermore, him putting an effort is sometimes counterproductive because he is so important offensively that, um, you know, he's not really going to spend much time on the bench and uh, you probably want most of his effort spent on, on the offensive end anyway, because that's where he's really good. I'd also say as well that like effort is uh, to some extent a skill, like uh, some people are, can give effort very easily. Uh, Houston in particular is a team where, you know, you look at what they do and you watch them play and they're always giving an effort and effort's not a question with them. Um, I can understand the theory with Gonzaga. Yeah, obviously they're not being tested a whole lot in, in their conference. So maybe they get a little bit bored. Although this year they had a number of close calls early in, in conference play, um, including a, a loss to Loyola Marymount, which, um, uh, is extremely rare for them to lose to anybody besides St. Mary's or, or BYU. Um, so yeah, I do agree. There's some, there's some hope that yeah, a, a team gives more effort. We've seen that in the past with some teams that, that their defense can improve. I'd also say too, like your defensive numbers are, you know, offense kind of drives the bus in college basketball. So to some extent you can just get lucky. I don't know if you get lucky for six games in a row, but you know, if your opponents aren't making shots, sometimes it doesn't have that much to do with the defense. And um, if I was going to pick a lopsided team, the profile I'd, I'd prefer to pick is a team that has um, a great offense and a mediocre defense, as opposed to the other way around. Cause it's really hard to fake good offense. You can, you can fake good defense for a couple of games. So what you said about teams that do well in March Madness overperforming makes sense, but are there any thing, or I guess, are there certain attributes of a team that give them more upside, right? Like the ability to make a deep run versus just to, um, I guess, just to do, have a better median. Um, it's almost, it's sense. almost like, it's almost like uh, how do we, and I, I think as obvious as what you said about overperforming, it's actually like an interesting insight to me, which is like the idea that every team that wins six games is overperforming what they, what their normal performance is. And so like, if we just played this off of Ken Palm like that, then we would know who won or whatever. Are there any factors that we could look and like, theoretically, you said at the beginning that this system is not, you never built it for March Madness and for the tournament. Like what are, are there things that you would tweak or change or might look at in addition to Ken Palm, um, for the tournament. Yeah. So, I mean, what I mentioned earlier about, um, you know, the bench minutes, like certainly tweaking a team's rating for, you know, the shortening of the benches, which is inevitably going to occur. I mean, obviously the difference between tournament play and regular season play, one difference is that, you know, it's win or go home, like your season's over. So you're going to do everything you possibly can to win that game. And fans might think that their teams are doing that every game during the season, but they're not like they're, they're, you know, they're, it's a marathon during the regular season. And so they're going to give their seventh and eighth players, you know, 10 minutes a game or whatever. Whereas in the tournament, they're going to give them three minutes a game or zero minutes a game. And um, so the star players are getting more time and they're more influential. And so kind of um, factoring that in would be pretty useful. Um, when it, when it comes to like upside, like what is the upside, you know, what teams have upside. I also find, you know, it's really looking at kind of the the talent level of the top teams. I mean, one new, one numerical thing you can look at is just like average height. Like it's very simple, but uh, 
taller teams do tend to overperform a little bit in the tournament than smaller teams. And I think that speaks to the fact that you just have like, you know, bigger, longer players can, you know, their ceiling is higher. So if we're looking for those teams that are going to overachieve, you know, certainly the, the high end talent that may be underachieved or, you know, got just a few less minutes in the regular season, um, you know, those teams have more potential to, uh, to do better. So I, I actually looked at the tweet you sent out yesterday about priors and, and Rufus and I talked a little bit about it um, because it's something we talk about a lot in college football where that preseason poll um, is very, it has some real predictive value in how teams perform in the bowl games. And similarly, you know, you made the comment around um, Creighton and uh, Purdue this year. And, and, you know, like the, the poster child of this is, you know, as Virginia when they lost as a, as a one seed and, kind of came out of nowhere to be that overall one seed. Um, you know, and, and I spent some time last night actually like going back and looking at like mock drafts for 2023 to see like who, which, which these players are like elite talent and whatnot. Do you, like how much do priors figure into Ken Palm and like what kind of advice would you give to people as they think about their brackets and whatnot in terms of using that type of like kind of talent information? So priors at this point in the season do not factor in at all. And um, they, they should, like, if I really wanted to have the, you know, the best predictions, I would still have a little bit of um, preseason rating, you know, influence in the system. I don't do that because I think it just makes it simpler to interpret, you know, and there are other issues with like, you know, the NCAA using my, my data and having, um, information in there that maybe isn't purely from this season. So the way to use that is to get kind of under, like you can access, you know, if you're a member, you can access the, the preseason ratings on my, on my site and kind of get a feel for um, which teams have overachieved or underachieved. Like, you know, Marquette, I think was rated preseason in the seventies or something in my system. Purdue was actually in my preseason top 25. So, um, so even though they weren't in the AP preseason top 25, maybe that bodes a little better for them in terms of, being a more legitimate uh, threat to go um, deep in their bracket. But, uh, but Marquette was the other team. You mentioned Creighton, but Creighton actually wasn't the top. That, I meant Marquette. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Marquette is the like, other they're team like and... the same team to me because they're like in, you know, in the Midwest, Midwest, in the Big East. East. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Marquette, I would have, I mean, I love watching Marquette. If we were going to talk about the favorite teams to watch and teams I would hope would go deep. Like I think Marquette is a, a great story and their offense is so fun to watch and, and um, their players are all kind of unheralded, but maybe like kind of fringy, like NBA guys who have a lot to play for um, and are really hungry. So I would love to see them succeed, but um, they're the team that I would really have some questions about because they too are like an imbalanced, you know, offense, defense type of team, although they did play better defense in the biggest tournament. Um, but certainly that like preseason prior, whether it's the AP poll or, or my system or probably any other system you look at is, uh, is a little bit concerning. And, and obviously there's like a pretty strong signal there. Um, so do you find that there's more signal in tournament games in terms of like how you would update your ratings from round to round? Um, I mean, I guess we learn a lot about, um, about conferences and conference strength and things like that, but also you're playing on sort of neutral court in a, uh, environment with a lot of pressure. Um, are you going to, are you, or should you update your ratings more from round to round than you typically would during the regular season? Yeah, possibly. Uh, I mean, uh, so there is, you know, there is recency weighting. So they, those games do get weighted more than the regular season, but you could argue that I should 
um, even weight them more than that. Uh, yeah, the, the tournament is, um, you know, kind of the gold standard for the reasons you mentioned, but also because everything's on the line. So in the regular season, you know, random game, um, one team may be, you know, resting its players because somebody's somebody's got a minor injury or whatever, and they, you know, want that to heal. But in the NCAA tournament, you know, you're less likely, you're not going to rest a, a minor injury. You know, everybody's going to be on deck and, and try to play and you're doing everything you can to win. So, um, so certainly there's a case to be made that the tournament should be um, weighed even, even more than it is. I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with it. Also, you know, the, the ratings do tend to change quite a bit, especially once you get past the top 10, just because as you mentioned, you know, the conference, you know, you're getting conference play now or cross conference play. And so, um, you know, if one conference has a, a great tournament, um, you know, all of its teams are going to move quite a bit. I mean, we just saw that, we just saw that last night in the NIT, um, Washington state got upset by Eastern Washington and that caused UCLA to drop from second to third in the ratings, you know, without even playing. So, um, so there is like a little more movement based on that as well. That's what kind about of like, sorry, I, I won't, but like the NIT is like such a effort predictor that yeah. like it's hard it's like worries me a little bit to, for that to, to be have an impact you know yeah I, I, me as well i uh, i would love to study that um i mean yeah it's less to me it's less effort because i feel like why would washington state like be dogging it like they you know they they would they would love to win some games you know they they don't have yeah. a lot of tradition and probably their players haven't won a lot in the past um but uh, especially those opening games, it's just like such a rush. There's so little scouting. You, yeah. know, you see that in the scores, right? The totals are always like significantly higher than you would predict from just like standard methods because it's just, um, you know, the, the, the scouting is just less sophisticated. And so that creates some kind of goofiness in the rating. So I, I agree, like maybe I should minimize the NIT, maybe those early rounds especially, but um, I don't know. It's uh, It starts to get, you know, starts to get more complicated when you start trying to, you know, manually de-weight and up-weight certain games. For sure. So we're going from a bunch of conference games to non-conference games. And I know there's different styles of play and, and officials are used to a particular, like you, know, you have the same officials officiating conference games. And so um, are there different styles of play that may be more fragile to the way games are going to be called by officials that have not been officiating like a particular conference's games? So I think that used to be maybe, more of a factor, you know, now officials are, you know, conferences don't have necessarily a set of officials. Um, you know, officials will work multiple leagues ah. in a week. Yeah. And they're I still, you know, it. officials are regional. So, um, you know, uh, big East officials aren't really working pac 12 games or things like that, but, uh, but big East officials are working, you know, the big 10 and the ACC and the Atlantic 10 or whatever in, in a given week. So there is some, um, some more equality, I would say in officiating, um as far as style of play goes yeah i think a lot of time you know i think about this issue with the big 10 so you know the big 10 every year pretty strong sends a bunch of teams to the tournament hasn't won a championship uh since 2000 and that's always a talking point every year and it's like why why is that you know are there's they should have won one by now and they've, they've come close you know wisconsin in 2015 was favored in a national championship game actually and and did not come through um, so they've had some close calls. Some of it's bad luck. A lot of it's probably bad luck. Some of it, I think you get into the tournament and, um, especially on the defensive side, versatility is rewarded a little bit more and the stereotypical big 10 team, not all their teams, obviously, but like some, many of their very good teams, you know, they have kind of a, 
a big man who is maybe not defensively uh, very versatile and that gets exposed in the tournament and um, possibly is, you know, a team's undoing. Um, so I think Purdue, Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel so yeah. good now about having, I, I, I took three big 10 teams as the first teams I took in our Calcutta last night. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Purdue, you know, certainly, you know, people look at Zach ED and he definitely kind of falls in that stereotype. He is actually a lot more mobile than most of uh, the bigs that have come through the most of, I guess, these offensive minded bigs that have come through the big 10 in recent years, but um, that would be a little bit of a concern for me. I like Purdue. I think they're, they're, you know, if somebody's going to break the streak from the conference this year, it'll be Purdue. So I, but that is kind of a, you know, thought in the back of my mind that, um, you know, that could be what holds them back. All right, let's get you out of here, but we have to ask you the one cliche question. I'm sure everyone asks you, who is your final four and national champion? Who's your final four uh, and national champion? All right. Well, it's not a very creative final four, but, uh, I'm going with, uh, Arizona, Purdue, uh, UConn and Houston, and um, I will take Houston to uh, to win it all. All right, we're here to hear first. Uh, Ken, thanks for joining us, and good luck in March Madness, and keep up with all the amazing work. Thanks for having me on, guys. Talk to you later. So we just concluded the Bet the Process Calcutta um, with a bunch of basketball college savants and sharps. Now we're recapping what happened. Um, general reactions. Uh, people that i i actually had purdue as the best buy that wasn't mine um i don't really feel like i i don't know what was wrong with my model because like literally i didn't i didn't think there were very many bargains like did anyone have any other reactions of of teams that they wish they'd gotten that uh in hindsight now that they know what the pot was I mean, Arizona was an absolute steal. Yeah, a lot of the early ones were. My pot estimate started at one and went up to one point. Didn't get up to like the one point three range stably until we were through like ten teams. So there was a bunch. There was a bunch at the beginning that I thought were really good bids. How did you start at one? What do you mean? The Arizona implied pot size just from Arizona alone is like over one point two. Oh no, I'm saying my guess. Oh, but who, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, but if one, yeah, if one, if one, if a single team, you know, throws it up to one point two, I don't, I don't think at least you should automatically assume everything. You know, it's going to land. There. Oh, you should. Well, that's that sets the floor, especially if it's David Dow. You know, David Dow is going to protect his bid. And was that what David Dow was doing? All we don't know though that his he no, was. Would, yeah, we don't know that he got he could have gotten to that price. He could have gotten that to that price with the assumption that the pot was going to land one though. In which case, that's what he's enforcing. I would say that the first team, I've never ever seen the first team be a bad buy, except that one time where um, where Preston thought it was the Rams and not the Raiders or something like that for the playoffs last year. That may, that? Been, that may have been Jeff Ma, but that's okay. Yeah, I know. Well, Preston was bidding for you. so Logan's group stole the Celtics last year early in the NBA Calcutta, I remember. The first team is always a value. And I think this is no exception, right? We have Arizona's 5.2% ROI. 5.2% ROI or 5.2% of the pot is what you think? No, 5.2% ROI based on what the final. I would buy Arizona at a 5.2% markup right now. Tell you that. We have, what do we have as the top buy? We have the top buy as Texas A&M. I have Iowa, good buy, whoever at Iowa. I thought I, I thought I was good. 
I think Alabama might have been a good buy. Definitely. Alabama and Houston went lower than usual on. Yeah, I think we have Memphis is really solid. Really yeah, Memphis pops for me as very, 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 very well played. But I, th- I thought the Houston discount was just sasser. I mean, what was that? Yeah. Why you guys didn't bid more? I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but yeah, Sasser's huge. I don't really have Houston much better than Alabama. I Jeff, you always end up with the best teams. I think Alabama be favored over Houston. Yeah, Jeff does always take the top teams. It seems like he's willing to pay that price. Um, I was I I would have bid more on 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 Alabama if I I think I had the pot size a little bit low at that point, um, but yeah I would have had them I have them at like eighty two now based on what I know the pot size is. I mean Houston has to go through Auburn, so best of luck to them. <laughs> yeah, I think Bama also has probably the the easiest eight nine leg which kind of helps yeah. their value a little. Uh, their four or five leg might be pretty easy too, depending on right. if either of those teams can find offense. San Diego State has some varying opinions, but other than that. What are some upsets that you guys like in the first round? I mean, oh, isn't it wide open? It's wide open, back. isn't it? I mean, no, I guess wait. people who are more kind of tuned into college basketball, because I am very much a casual, like, uh, is the consensus really that this is as wide open, as flat a tournament as we've seen in years, or is that bullshit? Well, more one seeds won their conference tournament than I think in any year in like the last decade. So you have a lot of good 13 through 16s, is I think the why the bracket looks like it does and why the lines look like they do. Interesting. That's interesting. So basically a lot of the shitty teams that usually sneak in because they win their conference tournaments and push out good at-larges. Um, There's yeah. been an ongoing transfer protocol effect too, right? Like over the years, like the guys who are falling out of the rotation of the best schools are ending up at these, you know, schools that you would otherwise look well, well past and they could have an impact, yeah? Yeah, and I think the, the COVID year kind of – like spill down, um, like a lot of guys at power programs, if they're good enough, are not using that super extra year. Whereas at a lot of the sort of mid-major programs, you're still getting a bunch of guys with an extra year to use. So you have a lot of good players who are fifth-year players. You guys, who are some dark people horses? People say it's wide open. Like like half the half the years, you you hear people say that that it's wide open. I feel like you hear that a lot coming into the tournament that it's wide open. I don't, I don't think that's just this year, really. Sometimes there's like more of a dominant team, I think. like Maybe there's not like one dominant team this year. Usually there's one or two, maybe. Who would you guys all take if you if you could just take one team? Number three, Gonzaga. At any, you know, basically just pick yeah. one team. I mean, Gonzaga is a tricky one because the West is – absolutely loaded like they're definitely yeah they have a tough draw yeah yeah gonzaga and kansas kind of got the most fucked i thought with the draw well ucla obviously is but they for good reason i think but gonzaga's so good it doesn't matter ucla has those (laughs) injuries there's more injuries this year at the end of the end of the year to a few teams ucla starters out only one though right i think uh, Adam Bona, the big guy, is supposed to play. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure if play. that's true, but I thought yeah. it was. Yeah, I know he's like questionable. 
So he might. His injury playing. seems his injury seemed a little bit more precautionary than like Jalen's out, right? Because he's. Like, I thought I thought Sasser's injury out, out was precautionary too, but I don't know. Sasser kind of looked bad when he went down, though. Man. I know, but he was like warming up the day of that game against Memphis. It seemed like like he was going through shoot around and all that. Yeah, I also that, think part of it was could have been ahead, just. Yeah. That, no, the Let's first go. half that they had against Houston, that first half they had against Memphis reeked of one of those situations where they were resting a good player and the rest of the team was like, well, I guess this doesn't really matter then, right? If they're doing that, you know? like that, yeah, it's it's UCLA, yeah. UCLA losing the night before, I think basically guaranteed them a one seed. So they like they kind of knew it. the game didn't mean much. Yeah, so I'm sure they were not going to risk it unless he was like 100%. I didn't understand that line, by the way. That it was five and a half, and it didn't really move. It went up to six, and then pop back to five and a half. It just seemed like Memphis seemed like free money to me. I mean, this in hindsight, obviously, it really does. But you know, I, I bet them, and I was like hoping. I, I was thinking to myself, like, this is gonna be one of those situations where you know I'm gonna feel like an idiot afterwards. But never. So then you must have been running like hand over fist to bet Memphis when they were, instead of getting five and a half on a neutral, getting like six and a half at home, like two weeks before, right? Yeah, I had them before, yeah. It wasn't six and a half, was it? Was it that high? I think it was pretty close to that. It was, it was, it was it like, well, earlier they had, it was, they were like, they were nine and a half, right? Or something like that when they played them at home? Maybe so at Houston? Yeah. At Houston, I think it was higher than that. Yeah. It says I four and a, I see four and a half. The game at Memphis was four and a half, I see. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, either way, when yeah. it was when, when we thought Sasser was probable, yeah. Um, the game at Memphis is tough to tell because Memphis was was out their best player, but I think it closed like fourteen. Do you guys think? What do you guys think of that Memphis FAU game? I mean, I, I do we think? I mean, like clearly, uh, people like FAU in this. We crowd. like FAU, yeah. Yeah, those are two good teams. I think. Where do we make it? It's a tough matchup for them. You make Florida Atlantic 51.7%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think you with the market. For sure. I mean, not, yeah. What's the market at? Two? Is it two? Yeah, two and Memphis a half? Two. Right. I mean, that's not that huge a disagreement. No, to be honest. of course it's not. It's like a few but... points off market. Yeah. But that's like a side we may bet. Or maybe we already have bet. I'm not sure. Yep. Teams that win their conference tournaments don't often come cheap. Brilliant. Arizona point guards also hurt. He has like a he's, he's shooting left handed now. That that Carissa guy. Kind that was, of, I think, just one free throw, and he was he's kind of a head case sometimes. I don't. Like, it might be shot better a, that he's not shooting. I guess. I mean, he, he, shot, he, he, he shot still. a couple deep threes against UCLA and made them. Yeah, yeah. 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 they're pretty big. Three right. points, like two points, the last three games. I don't know if there was anything. It's the other thing is that Ballo has a Ballo broke one of his fingers. Yeah, and he's just like splinted it up and is playing, but I mean, it just—I don't know. It's, they're not a hundred percent fully healthy. Why did you guys yeah. like Arizona so much? Why do you guys like Arizona so much then? Just overall metrics from the season. Yeah, they're really good. I had Arizona close to right on on this. Maybe I was off. Yeah, that's. I'm with you on that. I was. Ultimately, it ended up looking like a perfectly fair bid, but from the jumps you know that went way over my pot estimate so it looked bad for a long time <laughs> but ultimately i think uh baylor creighton versus arizona yeah. would be 
pretty close spread. I, I also might be Wednesday. crazy, but the numbers say Utah State is very, very live against Arizona. So that's a little risky. Like, and that that goes for like a couple of the top teams, like Houston. Similarly, like and again, like I'm speaking from someone who was the winning bidder on Auburn, so it's not even really like saying much. But Houston has to go, has to basically play them on the road, uh, which I think is a tough test. But if they get by that, then all of a sudden, you know, they, they could potentially be at home for the final four, which, you know, so they have like a weird distribution where if they get to the final four, their championship equity is a lot bigger than some of the other guys. If you're right about Utah State, then I'm not saying you're wrong. Then wouldn't it be just better to bet Utah State versus Missouri? Yeah. Well, that's why I stopped betting on them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, Missouri. I don't really I know. Missouri went. <laughs> really cheap oh, nice. <laughs> compared to what the market's telling you. But what do you what do you think of the format? I don't know if anyone's ever done this, where you win the amount rather than a fixed percentage per round, you win the amount of the teams that your team beats. Maybe next year you can start your own Calcutta again. That uh I mean that's a novel format it's not, and it's it, not my idea but it makes the yeah. game theory it makes the game theory of price enforcement for the later part of the the auction gets insane right because you're now incentivized to make sure that your opponents go for even you know are especially surplus as because you know it doesn't help you now if you know if you take the one seed in some region you're incentivized to price enforce on the eight nine four five right and that definitely changes the game theory a lot um and you could get caught holding a bunch of although you, if you own them all then you just get it back so i don't know <laughs> that's that kind of, play, it kind of well, falls apart well if you own them all though you could technically like make your part of the bracket worth more right yeah like yeah. if i own the eight seed and i bid the nine seed to the moon <laughs> yeah. then like it just i feel like it becomes a contest of who has more money yeah it collapses at some point Biggest uh, team that you guys like to be like a sleeper team to make the final four? Hmm. Florida Atlantic? No. Gonzaga. I mean, the West is mega top heavy, so I think yeah. it's fine to rule out the West. We make but... Gonzaga actually the favorite to come out of that region which yeah. is it's not crazy i know yeah i mean i think most teams have them or most systems of some sort would have them rated as the best team in the region yeah i think because of the ucla injuries I, I think if ucla was healthy they'd be favored over them but clark, yeah. with clark i don't think so <laughs> i mean i don't think so either you don't think i think so it'd be close maybe i mean I think if you're looking for a dark horse, you're looking for somebody in the south, somebody in the uh, in the east, I mean, maybe. Gonzaga wasn't that big of favorites over Marys. They were like four point dogs at Marys. No, I think the West Coast Conference in general. Closed was rated. No, they were definitely dogs, at least three at Marys. Do you think? What do you think of the West Coast Conference relative to like the market? I guess right now it feels like people are kind of low on St. Marys as well. The mid majors usually they get. Uh, people are like just hesitant 
I think the market's a little hesitant with them because of their schedule. So they don't necessarily trust them as much as like the prediction models do. Like they're not, they're not usually rated as high as like Ken Palm or something would have them. I would say though Gonzaga played like, I mean, if you look Besides at Gonzaga, usually because they play, they play a tough schedule. They, they, did, they, did, really they did bad in their non-conference schedule. I mean, they, they had, my, my rating for them in the non-conference wasn't like it usually is. It was, it was good, but it wasn't like elite or anything. Like, I mean, look, they, they literally uh, played. Texas, okay. Texas killed them. Purdue killed them. Okay, they, they killed him back in November also. but Yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm saying that if you're basing on the non-conference schedule, okay. it, their, their rating wasn't that great. They barely beat Kent State. They beat Michigan State by one. Right, I mean, they beat. A lot of caveats. They, they, they beat games. Kentucky by a good amount, right? I mean, they, they had one, like, real good game where they beat Bama. The other games were just so-so the rest of their non-conference. I mean, I went out on a limb and downweighted the game that was played on an aircraft carrier outside. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at um, St. Mary's, they were plus four. I don't think they closed plus four. They, they closed plus four. I remember that game. I'm yeah. looking right now. Okay. Because then I think like two weeks later, they were like Then they got hot at the end of the year, for sure. Anyhow, I think the WCC is pretty good. In the title game, they were minus two and a half, minus three against Mary's in the final. The fact that you guys can remember this is just painting. What a clear disadvantage I'm at because I can't believe you can pull those numbers out of your back of your head. I want to say all the bets I lost. (laughs) Teams that are not fun to watch, St. Mary's on offense. Yeah. Their ball handling. I remember when Gonzaga was pressing them and it just like them – Especially when you had an we had an over on that game, and just seeing them like take ten seconds to get the ball and to get in their offense every single possession was like, dude, you're describing all of college basketball. When you're when you're <laughs> when you're like when you're like de- drawing dead on an over in college basketball, it's the most painful thing to watch, right? You're like these Except guys can't are, play. Except that, like I feel like in any sport, you get like the last couple minutes can be a hail mary, like more than almost true. anything else. Oh, we true. lost the game where a team was fouling down 14 points with 12 seconds to go. Yeah, I mean, how many this week? Like, that's just kind of the name of the game. Yeah, I mean, technically, it's not negative EV, I guess, because there's it's just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it does like every time. It does ruin the sport a little. There's like a viewership thing where I feel like if you're selling it as a TV package, you want people not turning off the game in the last minute, but I don't know. All right. Well, we can let you guys all go. Thanks for uh, participating in the Bet the Process Calcutta and uh, look forward to seeing some of you guys for uh, the Masters. Um, thanks for everyone for listening. So that was the definitive Ken Palm and also the end of the Calcutta um, segment. I thought both were interesting. Um, Rufus, now that you are a college basketball pro wait are you gonna where are you gonna watch the games the next two days are you gonna are you gonna watch it finally or that's a good question i'm probably not gonna watch the beginnings tomorrow i have i have a like a full day doctor's appointment thing jeff that i splurged on what does that mean i'm doing i'm doing one of these executive physicals have you heard of, i'm sure you've heard of these no i was a little i was a little bit inspired by uh, um, a year ago when i read die with zero but just the idea of of really investing more in understanding my health. And it's basically like a six or seven hour doctor's appointment where they just, you go in and they test like absolutely everything to 
to get a better sense of your health and all that. And so I'm, good, I'm, and you have to pay good, a lot of money out of pocket for it. And good timing, bro. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All day. But, but wait, it, it starts at 7 30 AM tomorrow. So it's, yeah. I'll be done. You're on the East I'll coast, be done right? by like three. Yeah. I forgot you're on the East coast. Um, now that you are a college basketball procrastinator, uh, not procrastinator, prognosticator, you're procrastinating. Yeah. Um, also, um, what, what do you have any, do you have any picks this week? A procrastinating prognosticator. I don't know. Um, do yeah. I have any picks this week? Yeah. On college basketball games that we've already yeah. bet. Yeah. We have a, we have a, we have a podcast where we usually give out picks. Do you remember this that segment? It is true. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to actually look. I wasn't prepared for this. I can give you an you answer. You do to that, realize but... we do this every episode, right? We well, give. True. I'm normally giving. There out, is like, a golf big. Picks, though. There's a big sporting event coming up that people like to bet on, so it'd be nice. And you are a college basketball I'll... better now. Okay, Gonzaga to, to win their region. Gonzaga to win. What at what price? Um, at any bet... price. I would bet it at like plus three seventy and greater. Okay. Um, I also wanted to take this time to talk about the contest again. So the sponsors of, uh, of our contest, they're super fan games and there's cool contests at superfan.game. So go, the more that you guys go, the longer that we can keep this podcast for free. So that's, that seems like a bonus for everyone. Um, so Gonzaga to win their region at what price? I said plus 370 plus circa for $10,000 of liquidity. What would you bet that down to? What would I bet it down to, or what do we make it? Well, what would you bet it down to? Because so, I still so for our our college basketball side stuff, we still regress it pretty heavily to the market, and so uh, it's a little more tricky figuring out what the market is for something like this. But overall, our number on Gonzaga to win the region is in in the thirty percent range, which is much much different than the market. We are very very high on Gonzaga. Got it. Um, um, I'm going to. Take... I can give you a side too. Do you want a real, a regular bet? Yeah, sure, regular bet. Something that we've bet. Um, I don't know if the number is available. I'm just scanning through what we've bet on sides because sides are probably more interesting for people to sweat than totals. Right. We took um, an opening round game. We took USC plus two against Michigan State. It's probably still widely available, and it looks like it's widely available. Okay. I'm going to take Montana State plus the eight and a half against Kansas State. I um watched enough Montana State that I think they're sort of like this veteran laden team, which is pretty cool. Um were you and, watching uh, them in the airport? I mean, I was watching them late night when I think I might have had a total on one of them or something. I don't know. Anyways. Uh you you didn't ask me what I'm doing for the for the tournament. What are you doing for the tournament? Well, so tomorrow, tonight I'm going down to San Diego to see one of my friends and and then I'm golfing in the morning and then I am um then flying to vegas where i will be there for like a day and um i am recording a live podcast with dave chang and the night before we're doing sort of like the scouting for what we're going to do as an eating scavenger hunt around vegas so it's this really cool content thing and we'll probably do a little bit of crossover probably gonna do a little crossover where we talk about it um, on the pod, because essentially the concept is coming up with a point system of like 10 things that you, um, you know, that you're going to try to make someone do in Vegas, like take a selfie with the fountains or, 
like, um, you know, have a vodka Red Bull at Wet Republic or what are like things that we always do or like have dinner at Delilah's or have an old fashioned at Delilah's or, you know, I think old fashioned at Delilah's would be one of mine. That is, that is a cool spot. Um, I'm going to ask if we can like, there's a, there's some people I want to make part of this scavenger hunt, but uh, it, it's going to be pretty cool to do. And for those of you guys that don't listen to Dave Chang's podcast, you should, he's like incredibly interesting. Um, I'll be on this week. And if any of you guys are out in Vegas, feel free to hit me up or DM me. Um, there's some Seville people out there that I may see, um, but you can hit me up and uh, on DMs, my DMs are open on Twitter and um, maybe I'll bring some swag. So if you can find me, you can I can have some swag. The hats are probably the most transferable. So maybe I'll have some hats with me. It'd be funny for me to be rolling around with a backpack of hats and whatnot. But what would you, what would, what do you have a suggestion of one thing I should put on my scavenger hunt list for this Dave Chang podcast. And we're, we're going to be filming this at the Cosmo at the hops and hoops party that they do um, on Friday morning. So if anyone's around, you should stop by and say hi. I feel like you should have to find Derek Stevens at Circa. Yeah. Something at Circa would be cool. Maybe Jeffrey, I mean, Benson, Jeffrey Benson seems like a much easier person to find than Derek no, Stevens. Derek Stevens is pretty easy to find just because he's distinct looking. Yeah. And he's always like, he has he has his spot at Long Bar. Hey, so you guys can also submit if if you hear this right because we're not doing this until Friday. So when you hear this, why don't you tweet at me ideas for things that should go into this scavenger hunt um, around Vegas? It should a lot of it should be primarily around food. Like one of it's like you could be like eat a piece of secret pizza at the Cosmo at three a.m. So you'd have to like eat the pizza take a selfie where you show what the time is like they do with hostages and things like that. So, you know, that they're still alive, it's like a newspaper of the time kind of thing. Um, but it, you, so find Derek Steve, it's a kind of a fun thing, right? Like a little scavenger hunt around Vegas centered around food. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, guys, good luck in your March madness pools, uh, bet responsibly and go to superfan.games and sign up to help support Bet the Process and Superfan Games. So we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of leaded. 